Wow. Got me all pumped up. I'm ready to go. <laughs> uh, great to have you guys here. Merry Christmas plus one. Um, Christmas was yesterday. Did you guys catch that? Did you all? Okay. okay. So we kind of had a little hanging out day. Uh, we're celebrating our Christmas on New Year's. Uh, we just do things differently in our family. Um, so, no, we're trying to get everybody healthy before we kind of get together, and then we'll break into those gifts. Um, but it's great to have you. And I just got to say this. Um, our, our music team just knocked it out of the park uh, this, this year, which we really appreciate. Yeah, good stuff. Those who are first-time attenders with us, uh, Logan isn't as old as he looks. And um, so he's one of our homegrown boys, and we hired him back in, I think it was October, and so he's learning this whole thing of leading a music tr- That's exactly right. That's, <laughs> it's, his, it's his niece talking out there. Um, but, he, you know, so he's learning how to do this whole leading a music ministry thing. And then we throw Christmas on, that, on top of that and just did a great job and appreciate all the young people and Greg um, up there. Sorry, Greg, I just couldn't. Just couldn't. Um, so he keeps them all in line, which is great. And our children's. Our children's ministry and impact team, everyone did a great job, and so thanks for being here at our last of our five services. We just got done singing um, a song where we said, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Now, Jesus Christ, when he was born, he was born into a, a nation that was depressed, that was discouraged that was beaten down, they were beaten down by their enemies, oppressed by other nations, and it had been this way for hundreds of years. In fact, Israel hadn't experienced uh, any kind of sense of uh, unity or as being a, you know, a nation in and of itself in the sense of having freedom and, and peace within their borders for 900 years. The last time they'd sensed any kind of peace as a nation, was back with King Solomon. And then after him, the nation divided. See, Israel had turned their back on God, and they were experiencing the, the natural consequences of choices, poor choices, where they said, you know, we're not going to do life God's way. God had entered into Israel's life back when they were slaves in Egypt, and he said, hey, I want to be your God I want you to be my people. And then he gets them out of slavery, and he says, so do you want to be my God? And they're like, yeah, we want you to be our God. You can read about this in the book of Exodus. And, and then he says, listen, you want to be in relationship with me, I want to give you my personal name. And it's the, the personal name, Yahweh. I am. And he says, I just, you guys can call me this. I'm your God. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will bless you. And he said, if you do life my way, for, for my purposes, the mission that I've given you, I will give you what you need. I will bless you. But if you choose to do life your way, if you choose to make decisions how you want to make decisions and therefore destroy your life, I'm not going to help you destroy your life. And so now Israel's experiencing the consequences of their choices. To make matters worse, God hasn't spoken to them for 400 years. The book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, chronologically speaking, is the last book of the Old Testament, and God hasn't spoken since then. So here's this God who, throughout the Old Testament, has promised 
Israel, you're going to be a great nation. I'm going to, I'm going to make you um, a basic kind of world power. I'm going to bring peace and freedom to you. I'm going to bless the world through you. And his Israel, under the heel of another empire, the Roman Empire, being oppressed again, and no doubt they're wondering, does God remember his promises? Does, does he see us? Does he even care about who we are? And, and maybe some of you here this morning are feeling the same way. I mean, not that you're being oppressed by the Roman Empire. I don't, and unless you're playing some computer game where the Roman Empire might come in, Age of Empires, you know, something like that. But you're feeling that sense of discouragement and depression and, you know, looking at your life and, and, and being like, well, this is not at all where I saw my life going. You're feeling that pressure. You might even be asking, does God even care? Does God even know what's going on if there is a God? There's no joy in your world. There's no peace in your life. If that's you this morning, this message is for you. God wants, to hear, wants you to hear this message. If you've already experienced that peace with God that we're going to be talking about, you have people in your life who need to hear this. This is a message that you need to bring them. We're in a, a series, we're just finishing up a series called The Line. And we're looking at how when Jesus Christ came, nothing was the same. Before Jesus, things were a certain way. After Jesus, things had the potential of being another way. We talked about the fact that you have B.C., A.D., that even history is determined by Christ and his birth. We talked about a couple weeks ago that before Christ, and really before placing our faith in Christ, the Bible tells us that we are spiritually dead. What that means is, because of our sin, we're in a position before God where God sees us as spiritually dead, which means you can't really have a relationship with someone who's dead, right? So man thinks, hey, I'm, I'm good with God. I, I appreciate having that there is a God, and I even go to church, and I even pray, and I do a lot of things, but they have failed to understand that it's faith in Christ that allows you to have a relationship with God. And so what, no matter what we think, God's looking at us and saying, no, you're, you're spiritually dead. There's no relationship there. We talked about last week that in the Old Testament, God seemed unapproachable. In fact, a lot of people today view God as one who is unapproachable because he's holy, he's righteous, he's sinless. He can't have sin in his presence. And we talked about when God showed up to, to Moses and the nation, that he showed up and it was clouds and it was lightning and there was fire. And when he spoke, it sounded like thunder, an earthquake, it rattled. And people weren't able to come towards the mountain where he was meeting with Moses. Because if they did, it says that the, the Bible says that God will break out on them and destroy them because of their sin. And so we get this picture of God as being someone who's unapproachable. Now, if you look through the Old Testament, read through it, you'll see where God was gracious and loving and merciful as well. But people then and people today see God as unapproachable. But then after Christ, God the Son becomes human, a baby, 
I mean, what's more approachable than a baby? Except for the baby this morning I tried to console and well, nothing to do with me. That's okay. That's okay. I didn't take it too personally. But no, a baby. And then he lives this life and he dies on the cross for our sin. God is obviously approachable. And it's not a God of the Old Testament, a God of the New Testament, an angry God and a loving God. It's the same God. Just people have kind of pigeonholed him. And, but he's a loving God who's also holy and righteous. Well, today, we're going to look at this incredible gift of, of peace. We sing about it. We read about it, especially during this time of year. And in the Old Testament, before Christ, this potential for peace was promised. It was something that was constantly brought to Israel's attention, even like when they were going through those rough years where they were turning their back on God. But then after Christ, this peace that God offers, not just to Israel, but to all man, was made possible. So I'm going to read just one of the passages in the Old Testament. There's many passages like this. This is kind of one that is familiar, and we've probably talked about it. You might have been, if you're in church services at Christmas time, you'll, you'll maybe even recognize this. But this comes out of Isaiah. It's one of the prophets of the Old Testament. So he's telling Israel, God's having, having him tell Israel, he says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And what he's saying there is God's saying, hey, listen, I am determined that this, this is going to happen. It may not happen in your time. It may not happen um, in your timing, but I'm going to make it happen. And with God, what God says is going to happen will happen. He never fails. So 700 years before Jesus Christ was born, God promised that there would be a child who would be born. And this child would carry the responsibility of leading Israel. It says that, He's going to be one who is wise, who is strong, one who is like a father, would provide and protect, and he would bring peace to the world. But the Israel of Jesus' day was far from that peaceful nation, experiencing that peace. So what did, what did God mean back in Isaiah's time about there being peace? Well, there's actually two aspects, especially for Israel, there's two aspects of peace. Now, we know that peace means no conflict, right? All of us, when we have our Christmas parties and the whole family comes together and there's peace. Right? No, no conflict. Okay, well, maybe not. Um, there should be peace. We get it. There's no conflict, right? There's where there's reconciliation, where there was maybe conflict in the past, now they've been reconciled. People or nations have been reconciled. There's, there's peace. It means that things are right between people or nations. We're good to go with each other, or specifically with God. And so nationally speaking, God has promised Israel, and it's still a promise that's in play today, that one day they would have national peace. 
as a nation, experience that. Now, obviously, today that's not happening. So it must be something that's still in our future. Because if you know anything about world affairs, Israel is not living in a peaceful situation. They have the Muslim countries around them that actually are sending rockets in. They're at conflict with these other nations and other worlds. The tiny little nation of Israel being focused in on that other nations have even stated officially that they want to end Israel. Every U.S. president, at least as far as I can remember, has tried to bring peace to Israel, working with peace treaties and trying to get Israel to be at peace with their enemies. The Bible tells us it's not going to be a U.S. president that brings peace. Jesus Christ is going to be the one who brings peace to Israel. Now, this is something that's going to be in our future, evidently, because we haven't seen it yet. The Bible actually teaches us that Jesus Christ is going to come back, and he's going to set up a kingdom. We, we just went through a series called Living in Light of His Return. And First and Second Thessalonians, a couple letters that Paul wrote to some Christians in a town of Thessalonica, and he was explaining to them, because they had questions, he was explaining to them, how is the end of the world going to happen? And we know from reading through that, that one day Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to set up a kingdom on earth. And this is where it becomes very personal for Israel. That it's only those Jewish people who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ that are going to enter into that national peace. It's not a national peace for all of Israel. There's going to be a representative number of Jewish people who will experience that. And that comes through faith in Christ. So there's a personal peace, and it's truly personal. Each Jewish individual needs to do this. But Israel failed to catch that. In the Old Testament, it's talked about. But Israel failed to catch that because they were so focused on this earth. They, they wanted to go back to the glory days. Kind of like some people in our country. Let's go back to the good old days. They wanted to go back to the glory days, to to King David and King Solomon, when Israel was a world power, when there was peace within their borders, when there was respect, other nations were coming to them even, for especially Solomon to get his wisdom. In fact, this is why they rejected Jesus. One of the big reasons is because he said, I'm bringing them the kingdom of God. And they're like, yes! We're finally going to be a superpower. We're finally going to get back to being a peaceful nation where we can conquer everybody else. And Jesus is like, well, no, that's not coming yet. What's coming first is to have the kingdom of God in your heart, to have a relationship with God. And so Israel rejects him. But it's that personal relationship that they need first in order to experience the national peace. So we fast forward 700 years from Isaiah's prophecy, and here's how Luke describes the coming of this prince of peace, this child. It says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph, but let me just take a break here. So any, uh, first-time attenders, this is something that you'll notice, why are some of the words in color? Well, the reason for that is, when I read the Bible, I I look for key words. It kind of keeps me focused in. And so what I do is I just kind of, on Sunday morning, hopefully to bring that to you guys, so as you're reading the Bible, you get kind of in the habit of of looking for 
you know, important words. And so I just, it's just hopefully a tool to help you guys. Anyways, so Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a house in the family of David. So Joseph is in the royal line. So this one who is going to become king one of these days that Isaiah talks about, Joseph is in that line. And so Jesus Christ, actually from both um, sides, is part of this royal line. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So this child, this, this son, God the Son, who we call Jesus Christ, who's the one who came from God to bring the possibility of peace to mankind, to you, and to me. And this is where the message gets personal. So this is where, if you're here this morning, like I said, if, if if you're struggling and, and life doesn't seem to be the way it was planned to go, if, if you're discouraged like Israel was, then this is the opportunity for you to, to, to take that and meet the peace that God offers you. Now, I'm not saying God is some therapist. Okay, so don't, don't hear me saying that. I'm not saying, oh, come to God and he fixes all my problems. I could become a better version of me, as some would say. No, we come to God with who we are, with all the junk that's in our lives, and we offer ourselves to him, and then he takes us through those things. Because God uses all those things in our lives in order to draw us closer to him in a relationship, but then help us identify with other people who need to have a relationship with him. So you may find the end of your depression, you may find the end of your discouragement, or God's going to help you know how he can use those things in your life to draw the people to him for salvation. And in that, you find healing, if you want to call it that. So here's the deal. He says that peace is possible. It's peace with those that he is pleased so here's the thing. We've got to kind of, okay, kind of change our thinking here because what do we hear during Christmas? Peace to all men. It's peace to all. It's not what it's saying. Nice thought. Be great if it were the case. But God, when Jesus Christ came, he wasn't going to make it that everybody had to be at peace. Look at the world around us. This world is not in peace. He's not saying Jesus Christ comes, boom, everybody's at peace. 
Because if it was, number one, it'd be a lie. Number two, it's not what the Bible says. The words there don't say that. It's also, he's not saying that when Jesus Christ comes, boom, everyone's at peace with God. Everyone's good to go with God. Everyone gets to go to heaven. Again, it'd be great. You know, it's awesome. But that's not what that's saying here. It says, peace among those with whom God is pleased. So let me ask you this question. Is God pleased with you? Don't answer it out loud. Just think about it. How do you know? How would we even know if God's pleased with us? Well, God's a great God. He gives us an answer. It's found in the book of Hebrews. It says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, those who want to be right with God, those who want to know things, hey, I'm good to go with God. We're in relationship, whatever you want to call it, but he and I, we're good. Good from his perspective and good from my perspective. Must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Again, this is where we're going to need to step back, you guys. We need to kind of wash our minds of what we've been maybe taught even or what we've been thinking. Notice he, what he says is without faith it is impossible to please God. So the reverse is true. With faith, it's possible to please God. So how do we please God? By faith. By taking steps of faith. Worry, we always think, okay, God will be good with me as long as I go to church. As long as I do the religious ritual stuff. As long as I'm good to people. As long as I'm nice to people. As long as I do enough good stuff to take care of all the bad stuff I do in my life, kind of wash those out then I'll be good to go. I don't know about you guys, and maybe I'm just being way too transparent. I know what my thoughts are, especially like when I'm driving around. I know my thoughts about the other drivers and how terrible they are because I'm the only one who knows how to drive. Every time I say, you idiot, go, go! You know, angry. That's a sin. I, don't, I can't even come up with the amount of times I just sin in that way. <laughs> I don't know if I can do enough good things. I'm certainly not going to let the guy cut in front of me. I've been in that line way too long. We can never do enough good to get rid of all the bad that we do, the sin that we do. And so he says, how do I please God? Or how do we please God? It's with faith. Faith the Greek here, because we've got to go with what the Greek says, is it's faith believing something based on the reliability of the one who's saying it. So it's having faith, in this sense, in God. Faith in who God is, and faith in what God says about what it means to have peace with him. So it's not just you've got to have faith. I could sing the song for you, but I won't. And if you're old enough, you know what I'm saying, you younger people. You know, you don't know what I'm talking about. Got to have faith, faith, faith. <laughs> it's not just having faith. You're going through a difficult time, and you talk to somebody about it, and they're like, hey, just, you know, you got to have faith. Faith in what? Faith in me, faith in you, faith in the system, faith. What do I have faith? You got to have faith in something. It can't just be faith. It's not, well, I've always had faith. 
I was born with faith. Well, no, it's, that's not biblical faith either. It's not just always having faith. This faith, like I said, is in who God is, his character, and what he says. Faith is action. Faith means you're doing something, which is what this word believe means that he's talking about here. In the Greek, it's the same root word. One is a noun, faith. One is an, a verb. A little grammar work there for you. One's a verb, means action. We believe. Our faith does something. He says we must believe that he is. Now, he's not saying that we believe the fact that there is a God. We don't just believe that. Give mental assent to, yeah, well, there's some good arguments uh, that would say, yeah, probably there's a God or uh, a greater being or an intelligent designer or the man upstairs, you know, as opposed to like evolution or Martians, you know, that there's, there's a God. I get that. It's not what he's talking about here. Because this word is referring back to, Hebrews is very much uh, founded in the Old Testament, explaining what's going on in the Old Testament. And so this is going all the way back to Moses in the book of Exodus, where God's saying, I want you to, to know my personal name. I want you to know me as I am. He is. Meaning, He's always been, he is currently, he always will be. He is, he is the self-existing one. He doesn't need you or me. He didn't need to create this world. He is complete in who he is. He is the one true God. There's no other gods. Every other God is a figment of man's imagination. So we need to believe that, and then we need to believe that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. He's the one who gives us the reward. Well, what's the reward that we're believing him for? Paul explains this in Romans chapter 5. He says, therefore, having been justified, and this is a legal term meaning that God has declared us not guilty of our sin. So therefore, having been justified by faith, God declares us not guilty of our sin by faith. We have peace, there it is, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say through our good works, through our religiosity. It doesn't say through Jesus Christ plus our good works or plus our religiosity. It's through Jesus Christ. So he justifies us. He declares us not guilty of our sin. And it's through that that we receive peace. There's the reward that he's talking about. Being right with God, good to go. That we know that we are in a relationship with Him. And why is this important? Because what Paul says later on in this chapter. This is verses 9 and 10 out of Romans 5. He says, now, much more than having now been justified by His blood. So, here's another bit of information. Jesus was able to secure peace with God for us through his blood. In other words, he died our eternal death so that we wouldn't have to. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We're going to be saved for an eternity from hell and get to spend eternity with God. For if while we were enemies... 
before faith in Christ, no matter what we might what we might think, no matter what we might believe, no matter what we might hope, no matter how many times we pray to God, no matter how many times we entered into a church building, took communion, baptized even, whatever the ritual is, no matter how many times you walk the old lady across the street because you wanted to be a good person or let somebody in in traffic, God views us as enemies. That should be sobering to us. Because we want to we we kind of design God and define him the way we want him. In spite of what the Bible says, we're gonna we're gonna have a God the way we feel comfortable with him. But we need to understand there's there's a sense of uncomfortability here because we've sinned against God. And God sees that as us being his enemies. So before Christ, before we place our faith in Christ, God sees us as enemies. Go back to the we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. So in other words, even when we were at that point of being an enemy, Jesus Christ made it possible. So he made it possible for us to be reconciled or have peace. Much more, having been reconciled, this is after Christ, after we've placed our faith in Christ, we shall be saved by his life. So Christ, or God, sees us as enemies before we place our faith in Christ. And yet Jesus still came and died a horrific death for us. Because God loves us. Because God wants us to have that peace with him. He wants us with him for an eternity. Not because we bring anything to the table, but because by him saving us, it shows how awesome he is. And when other people in our lives see that, and they see us start living life the way he wants us to live in order to represent him well, they're like, wow. If God could do that in your life, I want some of that. And so Christ dies for us. And then when we place our faith in him, that's when the sin's forgiven. We're declared not guilty of those sins. We are given peace with God. We're reconciled to him. So God's gift of peace is possible. The question is, will you take the gift? And not just take the gift, will you open it? I, I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to New Year's, because that's when we're celebrating. Because when I get a gift, what I do is I, I look at it, beautifully wrapped, well, when Kim does it, Hagen's, hmm. Anyways, but I look at it, oh, beautiful. And I look at Kim, beautiful gift. It's nice bow, and you wrote so nicely on there. To your love bug. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't. She doesn't do it. Do not say it. Go, don't go up to her saying, hey, do you call him love bug? No, I'm just kidding. You know, to Harold from Kim. And I go, beautiful. And then I, I set it over. I go, next. And then they get another gift. And it's from Hagen. So I make it, yeah, okay, it looks like pretty good rap job. And I put it, no, we, we don't get the gift and look at it and then put it aside, right? I don't, anyways, you guys might, I don't. I tear into it. Yesterday, Kim said, okay, the kids were off doing their things at their significant others' homes, you know. And so it was just Hagen, Kim, and me. And Hagen's like, can we just open up one? <laughs> yeah. So we opened up two. And uh, I, I actually opened mine up really nice and neat, you know, and, and I folded the paper so Kim could use it next year because we're cheap. And uh, no, I opened it because I wanted to see what was in it. 
Kim got a really cool gift for us, for Hagen and me. I can't say what it is because the other guys are getting them too. But anyways, no, you open it up. You want to see what's in there. God is offering you a gift that is just blow your mind. I mean, you can't even... In fact, I know there are some people in our church who have recently come to Christ, and I've talked to other people this way too, but they look at their past and they see all the stuff they did and the junk that happened and bad decisions, and they're so embarrassed by it and can't believe they allowed themselves to get down that road, and it's just, ugh. And they struggle with, I mean, they accepted God's forgiveness, but they struggle with, how can God really forgive me for all that? But he does. He forgives you for all of it, whatever it is. It's awesome. You can't just let that gift go by. So this morning, what I'd like to do is, if you're here this morning and, and you've never had a conversation with God where you've received the gift and opened it, I want to pray a prayer, and prayer is not any kind of weird thing. I'm not going to ask you to do a weird thing. It's just having a conversation with God, your heart to God's heart. So if everyone just close your eyes and, and nobody looking around, this is just between you and God. If you need to pray this prayer, I'm just going to give you the words to say. The prayer doesn't save you, okay? It's your heart. You asking God for forgiveness is what saves you. I'm just going to give you some words to say to kind of help you along. And so just have this conversation with God. Just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you, and now I even know that you see me as an enemy. But I also believe I want to entrust myself into who you are and what you've said about how I can have my sins forgiven. You say, if I trust and believe that Jesus died for my sins, that you'll forgive me. I ask you to forgive me. I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. Thank you for declaring me not guilty and for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. You can open your eyes. Do something a little bit different. If you prayed that prayer today, I would love to know about it. And so here's what I'd like you to do. If you prayed that prayer, just grab between now and before you leave, just grab the Connect card just put your name on it, and on the back side, there's a little mark in there. You can put a little box in there that says, I trusted in Christ today for my salvation. Again, if you've prayed this prayer in the past, you don't have to, it's not a constant thing. It's, you become uh, spiritually alive at one point. Okay? But if you pray that prayer today for the first time, then just mark that in your card and throw it in the offering bucket out in the lobby. If you want more information, if you have some questions about it, then just fill in your contact information. And I'll make sure that I'll get you some more information. And if you really want to do this, I'm going to be out in the lobby. And so you feel free to come up to me if you prayed that prayer. I know I'm kind of a scary-looking guy, I know, but I'm, I'm really not that bad. Just, have, just come on up to me. If I'm talking to somebody else, I'll stop talking to them because I want to talk to you. I, I love the people in our church family, but... If you've placed your faith in Christ, you're the person that I need to talk to. They, they have access to me all the time. But you feel free to do that. Let's go ahead and stand, and we're we'll going to close the service with this last song.